Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are still in our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels number 14. In the previous episode we wrapped up Jesus' journey through the wilderness and his testing against the Satan, the enemy. And then we jumped back into the story of John the Baptist where some of the leadership among the Jewish people, namely the Pharisees, came to him trying to get to the bottom of who he was and why he was doing what he was doing within his own ministry. We had looked at things about uh, him showing the identity of Messiah through his work, and then we actually got into a really tough discussion of what it means for Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So hopefully you're still wrestling with that, and we're going to jump back into the story from there. Well, for what it's worth, I think, given time, more scripture, the, the more we work through this, Maybe that Lamb of God thing will will get easier as we attack it multiple times. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So until then, where do we go back in the text? All right. So we are still working our way through. Let me make sure I got this right. We're in John chapter 1. We are at verse 35. John has just... Uh, finished up basically uh, bearing witness, making statements about, you know, Messiah, whatever. We got that, and uh, we are ready to just continue through the narrative. All right. All right. John one thirty five says this, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold! the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So, remember when I said John was going to try to walk us through some of the the first few days of his ministry? Mm -hmm. And this is John the writer, correct? Yes, John the gospel writer. So, here it is again, the next day, right? So, it's on to a new day. And John, he's just continuing this daily account of Jesus' first days of ministry following the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't really talk about the the temptation story, that kind of thing, right? So, uh, another thing he says, which you just mentioned, uh, it was in the last episode, behold, the Lamb of God. And it's kind of funny, because you, you get the that sense of deja vu, right? John appears, John the Baptist, appears to be replaying the scene from yesterday, at least partially. This time, the slight difference is that there are a couple of John's 
disciples there. And I, I mean, we don't know, but, but the way it reads, it makes it sound like they weren't there the day before. But they hear this declaration, behold, the Lamb of God. And they start following behind the Lamb of God, Jesus, right? They follow behind him. And <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If this was me in the modern times and a couple people started following me, I'd be feeling the creepy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm just getting this weird comical thing in my head of like John and his disciples walking by Jesus and John's like, hey, Lamb of God, (laughs) (laughs) hope you find your dad. (laughs) So um, we've got now, though, uh, these two disciples uh, that are they're going to go follow Jesus. And we're going to see if, if when we get to uh, the next little group of scripture, uh, down in verse 40, that one of these two is Andrew. You may not know him, you may know him, but that's his name, Andrew. Uh, but the other one, at least in this telling of the story, remains anonymous. Popular speculation is that the other one, the one that remains unnamed, is in fact John, the writer of the gospel. He just, I don't know, maybe he's being humble. He doesn't want to talk about himself. Yeah. Um, and if, if that's true, another sort of side point that might be of interest to people is just to know uh, he's probably only a teenager at this point in the story. Okay. Yeah. So Jesus asks the question of these two disciples, what are you seeking? And so, I mean... It's a straightforward question, right? But how do they answer? They answer with a question. Oh, yeah. Which, in modern day, doesn't that seem kind of rude? Yeah, but not for Jewish culture, right? Probably not so much. I mean, I'm certain the gospel writer isn't intending to make us think they were being rude. (laughs) That's certain. Um but it's just kind of funny. He turns around. What are you seeking? And then their response is, where are you staying? It's just a little bit odd. But anyway, and also notice they call him rabbi. And we probably should just take a moment to, to recognize. Uh, we're not going to confuse this with the modern rabbi. A modern rabbi, um, there are there are, you know, some some rules or stipulations or requirements or whatever that you have to meet, okay? Um, at this point in time, there certainly were certain people that, you know, they had positions of uh, authority or influence or whatever, and it was because they had certain criteria. And Jesus wasn't one of those. He was, in every way, a very ordinary guy. But they called him rabbi because he is a teacher. And so, even though you see it in your text with a capital R, it would probably make more sense to us if it was a lowercase r, because it's just, hey, you are a teacher. Now, of course, we know he's the teacher, but you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they were just calling him master or teacher, just like a regular sort of generic kind of... uh, label, right? Okay. And then he says to them, after they ask where he's staying, he says, 
Come and you will see. And there is nothing odd about that when we read it in the English, because we don't know. But Jesus, okay, he's in a sense, he's inviting them to join him. That part seems kind of obvious. But there's actually a little bit of a play on words that's happening here. The phrases come and see or come and hear, you know, in in the Aramaic back in Jesus's day, these were very common expression uh, in Jewish writings, uh, etc. And what it meant was to learn. You you might even say it more like come come and learn something. Okay, so Jesus is actually inviting them to get their question answered. Where are you staying? And potentially to get all of their questions answered. Come and learn. Right? Mm. Kind of cool. And it's actually going to come up later. So that'll be kind of fun. It's kind of it's kind of cool, like in some ways, but it seems very Jewish to say to actually learn something is to truly see something or to learn something is to truly hear what the message is getting across with whoever is teaching it. So I don't know. It yeah. kind of makes sense to hear now that come and see and come and hear go hand in hand with learning something truly. Yeah. Yeah. When somebody points it out, sounds great, right? And it, it, it goes back to the prophet writings with, you know, those among Israel who, and the Jesus reference, references it too with those that are seeing, but they're not really seeing. They're hearing, but they're not really hearing. I, I, that probably yeah. is connected to learning as well. Those that tr- don't truly hear or don't truly see aren't truly learning either. That's right. That is exactly right. Yeah. So it's a, it was a very common phrase, and and how much does it enrich your reading of this little section when you know that? Mm-hmm. It's 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 a it's a great little thing. Um. It continues, and it says that they stayed with him that day because it was about the 10th hour. So this is important. Here in America, when we say the 10th hour, what do we think we're talking about? Uh, 10 a.m.? 10 a.m. Yeah, that's what we would think. But in the Jewish world, their day begins at sunset. And, you know, thinking of it in like a 12-hour cycle, ten the 10th hour for them was about 4 p.m. So they probably weren't too far away from sundown Hmm. at this point. So when it says they stayed with him that day, it could be that it was only for the next couple of hours, but much more likely they're actually saying that, that they're staying with him through what we would think of as the next day. Like they, they would eat together and, the nighttime and then get up and still be hanging out, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a, a kind of an important part, just to understand that eh, this probably doesn't look the way we initially imagine it because they live on a different time schedule. But then, okay, I got to make a bigger point, and this is going to be important. So here you have it: Jesus is walking by. John the Baptist says, "Behold, the Lamb of God," and two of his disciples just start following him. Okay. We often get this, uh, I don't know, call it like a TV movie image of Jesus calling his disciples. And it's this, this, uh, 
amazing event. He shows up. They look into his eyes. They're usually blue, which is ridiculous. And then he says, follow me. And almost as if they have no choice, they follow him, right? Yeah. They just drop everything. Follow him never to return. The thing is, that doesn't really fit with the gospel accounts. If it were true, if, if that image, that picture were true, we'd end up with actually some more problems in the Gospels. It'd be difficult to read through some spots because you'd be thinking, well, how did he get called twice? <laughs> it, it, it would just be kind of hard to overcome. So we need to just sort of slow down a little bit and just take the text for what it says. He was walking by. He didn't say anything. They started following him. And then they're like, where are you staying? And, and so he's like, well, come find out. You know, it's okay to read in this that these men are going to spend some time with Jesus. It could be that they drop everything and stay with him all the time. Or it could be that there's going to be more interactions in the future before there's like the actual, actual call. Drop everything and come and follow me, right? So we don't want to be too rigid because if we are, later we're going to end up in a hard spot. So I'm just saying, take it for what it says. Jesus is walking around. They start following him. He lets them hang out with him for a little bit, and let's see what happens when they do. Yeah. Okay? All right. So now here's the part I told you about where we get some names. Uh, Starting at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak, that's John the Baptist, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Ooh. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. People pronounce it different ways, Cephas, Kephas, Kephas, whatever. I've heard it all the ways. Uh, so, uh, but the point is, now we've got one of the two disciples now identified. It's Andrew. And, uh-oh, bonus, we just found out that he's Peter's brother. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'm looking ahead in the text or whatever. Uh, it's Peter's younger brother, okay? So Andrew, he hurries off to find his brother and tell him that they've found the Messiah. And then he brings Peter to him, which I'm kind of thinking that's pretty much the first century century equivalent of Pixar, it didn't happen. Yes. Right? <laughs> That's what it is. So he brings Peter to him. And then uh, I know that I've said this before, the idea that the word Messiah, it's, it's the same word as Christ. You know, one of them is more Hebrew and one's more Greek, and it, but it's all the same. It just means anointed one. And here you have John, the writer of the gospel, telling you exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. So Jesus looks at Peter and he identifies him exactly. You're Simon, the son of John. But then... He changes his name to Cephas, which is, you know, uh, that's like the Aramaic version 
of Peter, and and in the Greek, that is Petros, which we'll see as we continue, right? But at this time, no explanation yet. He just changes his name. It's so random. <laughs> I know, it, it is, right? Now, I think it was slightly more common back in this time, in this culture, especially if you really did have like teachers and students or the way we would think of them as master and disciples uh, in the text, that kind of stuff. But it, it even, I mean, still, it feels weird. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, hey, yeah. I know exactly who you are. And I'm changing your name. <laughs> but I like my old name. <laughs> Too late. Yeah, it's very weird. So, uh, again, just to just to make sure we're following, John, the gospel writer, he's in the middle of recounting these early days. And, and we're led to believe that it's Andrew, and then we're thinking maybe John, the writer of the gospel, and Peter who are now hanging out with Jesus. You know, in theory, they're going to, like, stay with him this this night, okay? Now, um, I don't know. That's what the text tells us. True or false, uh, you figure it out for yourself, but that's the way it looks, okay? Gotcha. And then John continues, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. And said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So you can see it. I mean, uh, that follow me sort of gives you that TV image that we all kind of want to have, right? And then you're probably noticing that everybody's from the same place so far. But let's, let's, let's go through. The next day, here's John. He's continuing his daily account. Um. The, the fact that he's going back to the Galilee um, will soon, it's coming up in the text here pretty quick, we're going to see that Jesus is, is going toward a wedding, going to go participate in a wedding. But notice, uh, he says, follow me. And uh, we just made a big deal about the phrase, come and see which is kind of like, hey, you, you come and learn something from me. But this is different. Number one, it isn't follow as in like travel, like, hey, I'm going to walk in this direction. You do the same. It's more like follow as in obey or imitate, right? See the difference there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then we get introduced to this new guy. His name is Philip. He's from Bethsaida. And we, we're, in t- we're told that Peter and Andrew are from there also. So, uh, John, the writer of the gospel, the one that we think is there also, we don't, it's not really giving us any info about him, so we'll, we'll ignore that for now. But if they're from the same town, I mean, we don't know, but maybe, maybe they know each other. I don't know why Jesus would pick Philip just out of nowhere, but I mean, he certainly could have, but maybe they know each other. Um, And just uh, so we have a, uh, it's going to get confusing later. So we're talking about in this instance, Peter being from Bethsaida, and then later we're going to find out that Peter has a home in Capernaum. 
And so uh, it's it maybe it's more like uh Peter is from Bethsaida, like may, maybe that's more like his hometown if you will. But as he grows and moves on, gets married, etc., he ends up in Capernaum. I don't know. We'll have to see about that when we get to that part of the text. But um now we've got a bigger group. So Jesus, obviously, Peter and Andrew, and then we think it might be John, the gospel writer, and now Philip. So you got it? You see in the picture? Uh, yeah, he's just like he's gathering his crew. Gathering a crew. And we get down to verse 45. And now Philip, the last one we added, well, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. <laughs> Isn't that great? It is. He's yeah, that. John the Gospel writer is doing that on purpose. He's already starting that imitating of Jesus by repeating his phrases. <laughs> yeah. So that was that's really good. I like that part. So let's see what we got in here. So Philip gets Nathanael uh, pretty much just like Andrew went and got Peter. Now, this gets a little confusing. Who is this Nathanael? Well, most, or at least a majority, it's very popular. Um, a lot, a lot of Bible scholars think that this Nathaniel is referred to in other places as Bartholomew. So it's a little bit confusing. And one theory that's been posited, and this is the one that, I mean, okay, there's more than one, but this is the one that I actually kind of liked a little bit. They thought that maybe his full name would have been Nathanael. Bar Ptolemy, meaning son of Ptolemy, right? And that actually makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so anyway, something to kind of keep in mind is we've got Nathanael here, and later we're going to end up talking about somebody named Bartholomew, and it's going to feel like, what? Where'd this guy come from? Where'd that guy go? And so we're thinking they're the same person. Is this the only time in the Gospels that... Nathaniel's reference, do they kind of leave his name off after this? Uh, you know, I should have done that search and I didn't do it. It's all right. We can, we can peg that to our listeners. You all get a hold of us if you, if yeah. you find out. Yeah, I got wrapped up in the whole uh, Nathaniel Bartholomew connection and we think they're the same person and, and I ended up not, not going to see where, where he ends up. So it's a good question. And yeah, you're right. Let's let them check it out for us. Now, okay, so here's another one, though. Who did they find? Philip goes to Nathaniel and he says, we have found who? The Messiah. Yeah, but he says it's him of whom Moses in the law wrote. Also him of whom the prophets wrote. So it's, yeah, it's a long-winded way of saying the Messiah, but notice According to these guys, these guys who are still looking for Messiah, he's in the Torah. He's in the first five books. 
He's in the prophets. This is one of those beautiful additions that the Pharisees brought into all uh, Jew, Judaic thinking is finding Messiah in all of the scriptures. It's a cool, cool thing. And so uh, the fact that he's saying it's in the Torah and the prophets, that's like a shorthand way of just saying uh, Messiah is in all of the scriptures, and their scriptures were what we think of as the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That one, that makes me smile. Heck yeah. Yeah. These are, these are the first guys, and, and they don't really know him. They don't really know what they're in for, but they're already saying, hey, this, this looks like Messiah, and you know, it's, we've seen him. He's in the scriptures. This is the guy. And it kind of leads you to believe it would seem weird for someone to say that if they didn't know their text. Like if, you, if you're using that as the way of saying we found the Messiah, that leads me to believe that guy knows his text. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? That's that's a really good point. We always get this image in our head that it's like, well, yeah, they were technically Jewish, but you know, they were fishermen or this or that. And they didn't really have time for all this stuff. Guess what? He found <laughs> two of them hanging out with John the Baptist. They were his disciples. Yeah. Coming to check him out. As soon as they run to these other guys and say, hey, we have found, you know, the one that, that's written about it. And they're like, well, I know exactly who that is. And they want to come see who's who, right? I think these guys know a little bit more than we give them credit for. And certainly nowhere near as much as they're going to know, given the upcoming events. But mm-hmm. yeah, they're not as they're not as simple and unlearned as we maybe try to paint them sometimes. Yeah. But notice he also identifies him. So he's the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about, and then he gives the name. He, he introduces him as uh, let me find my spot: Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, it's presented here like it's just a simple, straightforward fact. He is the son of Joseph. But we, having gone through the podcast, the scriptures that we have thus far, we know the backstory. It's not as simple as son of Joseph, is it? Mm -mm. But uh, there's another thing. And and the reason that I'm pointing this out is because (laughs) this is a really... uh, Cool connection. So in Jewish tradition, there are potentially two messiahs. What happens is they're going through all the scriptures, they're studying and studying and studying, and they're realizing, wait a second, this some's not right. We're seeing these things that really look like they are the Messiah. And yet this doesn't look good. It's like he's suffering and and there's death and everything. You might think of like Isaiah 53 or something like that, right? All those kind of things. But then there's this other Messiah where, you know, all the scriptures, and again, they, they look like they're related to Messiah, but they seem to be kingly and conquering and and all of that kind of stuff. And after a while, they noticed there was so much of a difference between these two things, they began to think, well, maybe there are two messiahs, a suffering messiah and a conquering messiah. And so they began to refer to them as 
the suffering Messiah, son of Joseph, and the conquering Messiah as son of David. Now, probably in this verse right here, it's probably Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, son of Joseph, because that was his dad's name. But just think of the hidden connection underneath Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, son of Joseph. That's cool. Suffering Messiah. Yeah. I I never thought about that before with his reference to his dad's name. That's cool. Isn't that great? And then, of course, we know so much more of the story that he really did suffer and die, Mm -hmm. just like one of the two messiahs that they talk about. And we imagine him coming back the second time as that conquering Messiah. Yeah. It's not really two. It's the same one in two visits. What? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it more, but it it sounds far-fetched. And it on the surface, it seems like they got it wrong, but it, it actually, they got it so right with <laughs> oh, yeah. describing both of them. It's like it doesn't have to be two different people. It can be the same figure that came in two different lights and we yeah experienced them you know humans yeah israel experienced him in the first way and we're awaiting his second manner yep yeah and it's funny you know they uh, and it, to some degree they kind of kind of try to disown that those lines of thinking but they're really good and they're really appropriate and seemingly just really correct mm-hmm. it's cool it's cool so then Nathaniel comes off with this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So, I mean, is this dude just being snarky? What's going on with this guy? Yeah, didn't we learn in a previous episode that people of Nazareth were of the line of David? Yeah. that's That doesn't yeah. seem like bad things come out of <laughs> a place if their lineage is from David. Right. I know. It's very weird. But... Here's an interesting thing. It could be that there really is some, and I don't know what how to term it exactly, maybe some some rivalry between these places or something. I don't know. I don't know what the real story is, but maybe Nazareth really does get looked down upon. Maybe they were poorer than some of the other places. I don't know. But here you can see it. Um, Samuel, let's go to John chapter 7, verses 40 through 52 would be the the complete block of reference, but I've broken it down, pulled just a couple of snippets out. Maybe you could read those. Yeah, this part is out of verse 41. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Then if you jump to verse 52, it says, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Yeah. So, it doesn't have the same sort of snarky sound to it or whatever. I, I get that. But you can see that there's a real skepticism toward the Galilee. Nazareth, uh, in particular, in, in uh, our, our text case, right? And you add to it, which you'll also find in that verse 40 to 52 reference, you'll find that um, they, they talk about this idea that no, the Messiah really is supposed to come from Bethlehem. And so maybe Nathanael knew this, right? I mean, he knows Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. And so rather than saying, Nazareth, I thought he was supposed to come from Bethlehem. Yeah. 
Maybe his way of stating it was just more along the lines of, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? As in, like, good is only supposed to come from Bethlehem, or, you know, something like that. Okay. Anyway, who knows? But I, I doubt he's being snarky. Especially as we continue, you'll see he turns out to be a pretty okay guy. Um, but, but boy, anyway. have people taken that that phrase and blown it way out of proportion, though. Oh, yeah. Like, I think there's a grand misconception that people hold today that really nothing good comes out of Nazareth except Jesus or something. Yeah, yeah. Which, that's not true. Yeah, I think that would be, I think we call that over-reading. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. But then, of course, uh, you know, that final little bit, Philip said to him, come and see. So the wordplay continues. Plain meaning, of course. I mean, that that makes sense. Come and see. I mean, the way that we would think of it in English, that makes perfect sense. It's good. But that idea of come and learn and sort of passing on that message that, uh, now, he, it wasn't said to Philip, but it's still interesting to see it in the story that Jesus said, come and see sort of, mm-hmm. and and now Philip's saying, it's just, it's a neat little play on words, and we don't and, usually see it. Yeah, and I had meant to say, you had said that in the back of Nathanael's mind, he knew that Messiah was to come from Bethlehem, just in case people have forgotten, Luke 2 in the, the Nativity story, Bethlehem comes up in the story with Jesus' birth, correct? Yes. So correct. it's, nothing is being contradicted here, it's just where he was born versus where he grew up. Exactly. Yeah, it's a good clarification. Yeah, we needed to say that. Yeah, so uh, so let's learn some more about Nathanael. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Okay. Now, and this is going to get better. I mean, it's kind of a cool little narrative, but we've still got a few things we've got to break down here. First, he says, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Okay. It's a test, Samuel. Not a temptation, a test. (laughs) What person in the whole Israel story is famous for deceit? Oh, yeah. I've also heard him called as the usurper, Jacob. Yes, Jacob. Now, if you remember, God changed Jacob's name. Do you remember what to? To Israel. Exactly. And now, um, so we we probably should be interested in when. When did God change his name? You can read about this. You might go back and look at Genesis uh, 32, uh, 28, uh, and of course, surrounding, but but these are like the key, key moments. Um, Genesis 35, 10 is another one. But what's important about this, this is after Jacob had struggled, contended, and persevered with man and with God. And so 
sort of the the inference that we get from those stories is that Jacob had outgrown some of his uh, poorer qualities and attributes, shall we say? And, and in this particular case, we could focus in and say he had overcome the deceitfulness within him. He became Israel indeed. And so Nathaniel is also an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Hmm. Is that not a cool connection? Yeah. So he's yeah. calling back to Jacob and saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Calling back to Jacob, recognizing that at the moment when God changes his name, okay, technically it looks like he does it twice twice when you're back there in the text, but but it's related to Jacob uh, leaving behind those old attributes and having become his new self, and God gives him a new name. You are Israel. And so if Israel is Jacob except without deceit, then Nathanael is a true Israel light because he has no deceit. I just think that's a cool picture. Yeah, it's a pretty epic introduction to Nathanael's character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, you'd think he'd get more time in the story, but he doesn't. But yeah, he seems like a good guy. But now I notice this too. Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? And in my mind, maybe this is not being fair, but that sounds like a test. (laughs) And all I can think to myself is, poor Zechariah. (laughs) We need to make that our own sound bit now. Yeah. Poor, Poor guy. He just, yeah. In all of our stories so far, he's the only guy that like asks questions and seems to get punished. <laughs> Everybody else just gets their answer. So anyway, poor Zechariah. But Jesus tells Philip something that, you know, presumably no ordinary man could know. But remember that Jesus now has the Spirit, making him an extraordinary man. Right? Yeah. Now, just side note, do we not also have the Spirit, or can we not also have the Spirit? Absolutely. Therefore, we don't have to be ordinary men. We can be extraordinary men, too. Hmm. So, it's, it's kind of a cool picture. Yeah. Yeah. And then one final bit, where did he see him? He saw him under a fig tree. And I just want to point this out. Um, When in Jewish tradition, when they talk about the kingdom, one of the ways that they express what the kingdom will be like is to say that every man will sit under his own vine and fig tree. It's a way of saying that there will be a material abundance. The fig tree represents food and the vine represents grapes, wine, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and of course, at this spot, we're only talking about the fig tree. But what's kind of funny is we're coming up on a story that's all about wine. So it's just interesting when you know that the king, the kingdom, all of that stuff is in play. Every little thing that you read in the text 
seems to, it's like everything is charged. It's like there's an energy behind all of it and you just need to slow down enough to see it, right? Mm -hmm. So Philip's sitting under a fig tree. Hmm. But now, okay, so Nathaniel, Jesus says, how do you know me? And And Jesus says, well, before I called you, you were under a fig tree. I saw you, right? Well, listen to Nathaniel's response. Verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. (laughs) I, I mean, I don't know. That seems a little excessive, right? I mean, it's maybe a bit of a prophetic utterance. Um, Nathaniel, he's completely convinced Jesus is the Messiah. He goes from like zero to a hundred, 1.6 seconds. <laughs> There's no race car that can beat this guy, right? It's just amazing. But now he had been told that Jesus was the son of Joseph. Hmm. But he declares that he is the son of God. And at this point in the story, in this context, uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of additional meaning of any kind other than to simply say, Rabbi, you are the Messiah, right? And then he goes further. He declares that he is the king of Israel. And of course, he means the long-awaited king, the one from the line of David, the one that's supposed to be the eternal king. Again, the Messiah. So Nathanael, he knows stuff. And for whatever reason, I mean, that that one little uh, proclamation from Jesus apparently was enough. He gets who this guy is, at least in this part of the story. Yeah. Right? It's going to feel a little weird later. I'm sure there are people out there kind of wondering, gosh, I always thought it kind of seemed like it took them a while to understand who he was. And, you know, they, they sort of bought into it slowly. And here it seems like they're just falling over themselves. He's the king. He's Messiah. <laughs> and you're right. And we'll address that when we get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so now here we're kind of poking a little fun at Nathaniel saying, Really? He tells you that he saw you under a fig tree and, you know, you're like, boom, you're the son of, you're the king. Well, Jesus kind of feels the same way. Verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, kind of like us, Jesus seems a little surprised at how easily Nathanael accepts him. Now, John's telling, uh, and I just mentioned this before, it kind of seems like they all want to accept him quickly and easily. But again, we're going to see there's a little contrast in other parts of the Gospels. Um, But this could all just kind of come down to storytelling. Remember, we've got four different people, four different points of view, and not just that. 
we've got four different purposes for telling the story. Matthew has a very specific idea and narrative that he wants to get across. John has his own completely different one. Luke, right? They're all different. Now, it could also be, right at this point, they're buying in quickly. But then it could also be that, you know, it turns out that, wait a second, he's not that conquering Messiah that we all had our hearts set on. And so after they start to see him more and more and understand the things he's saying and teaching and doing, it could be that they started off all hot and then they cooled a little bit going, wow, but wait a second, you don't seem like you're going to take over and all that. You know, what's going on? I, I'm not, you know, I, I don't understand what's going on here. So they waver a little bit. It could be something like that too. We don't really know, but we're just going to take it for now. We're going to take the story as it's presented to us. And they seem to be pretty, pretty on board and pretty quickly and pretty thoroughly. So we'll just go with that. Okay. Um, and Jesus encourages Nathaniel that, you, you know what, you're going to see far greater things than this, than just, you know, my little vision that, you know, within the past hour or something. Um, and then Jesus makes this statement. I, I'm pretty sure it's the first time we've seen this in our text. He says, truly, truly. And when you see this, uh, and, uh, you know, it depends on your translation. There are other ways of saying it, like uh, verily, verily was uh, the the King James type version, but you'll hear it. What he's, the point of that phrase, anyone using that phrase is to basically say, look, you can take what I'm about to say as an unalterable fact. And then of course he makes a statement about the heavens opened, angels ascending and descending. So he starts it out with, you can take this to the bank. But now, gets a little bit interesting. I just want you to stop for a moment, Samuel, and I want you to think back. Somewhere in the Old Testament, somewhere in the Torah, somewhere in the story of Israel, all that, when can you think of a time when the heavens were opened and angels were ascending and descending? Sounds a little bit like story of Jacob's vision with the ladder between earth and the heavens. You got it. Yeah, Jacob and his dream of the ladder. This happens back in Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 and 13. Uh, And you know what? Why don't you go ahead and read that a little bit so we can hear the connection. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Yeah. Okay, so so you see it, and now he, remember what he said to Nathanael, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on... It's not a ladder. What is it, Samuel? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. Okay, now here's the weird part. Lots of arguments have gone on for centuries within Judaism about who are we talking about here? One viewpoint says that the angels are ascending and descending on the ladder. 
Another viewpoint says that the angels are ascending and descending on Jacob. Now, why would they say that? Because if you go back to the Hebrew, it doesn't say it. It says him. Or at the very least, it could be interpreted as him. And so they came up with these competing viewpoints. Now, the question is, is Jesus taking advantage of that existing argument? Is Jesus, you know, sort of using that, twisting it a little little bit so that he is the latter? And I don't mean the latter, but like the latter. And, And that Jesus is, in some sense, a representation of Jacob. He's like the Israel, right? So this, this, this statement, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That is a supercharged little statement that usually, yeah, we just kind of read right by it. I'm getting some mystical senses with John's writing right now. I, I, I don't know if any of our other listeners are feeling like this, but going through this myself, it's like, this holds up with John 1 that John's a kind of a tough <laughs> tough one to read and interpret and wrestle with. Yeah. Well, it's true. Um, out of the four Gospels, John, in my opinion, is by far, it's not even a contest, is the most difficult to read. And it's very sad because I, I feel like we've talked about this before, maybe not. It's so common for people who get born again, join a church, whatever. Hey, where should I begin reading my Bible? And what do people in the church tell them, Samuel? Go read John. Yeah. Go read John. And John, it is, it. you picked a good word too, mystical. It's not mystical the same way we think of it in a modern English definition, right? But it is very mystical. It is it's trying to see beyond what is plainly in front of you to understand the bigger, deeper meaning of things. So it's mystical in that sense. John, the whole book is so mystical. And what you're going to see as we continue the podcast, every time we get to John, it's going to feel a little bit harder to follow along with what we're talking about. Yeah, I just brought that up that if anybody else is feeling like their brain is being stretched or squeezed or whatever you want to insert there that's not a abnormal thing because this is deep stuff that's right yeah this is uh it's just hard okay but don't give up let's keep going oh that's right don't give up don't give up we're here we're here for you (laughs) um okay one final thing notice that he says he's that that the angels of god are ascending and descending on the son of man and we we talked about it. I think it was the last episode. They wanted to call him Son of God. What's Jesus' favorite title for himself? Son of Man. Yeah, and here he says it. Jesus refers to himself as Son of Man. And I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna belabor the point. He is the Son and the man, right? Every time we're talking about Messiah, we we need to understand him as the true representation of everything 
that he is, right? And so what's what's kind of cool is that the title, on one hand, it really emphasizes his humanity. Because in the, 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 the simplest sense, Samuel, what does a son of man mean? Son of a human? Yeah, yeah. You were born from a, another human, right? And so it emphasizes his humanity. But at the same time, it emphasizes his messiahship. And, and we're going to see where this comes from. If you go to the Old Testament, you'll see lots of times that phrase, son of man, exists, and it really doesn't mean anything more than, uh, yeah, somebody who was born from a human. It's a human from a human. That's it. Son of man. But if we go back to Daniel 7.13, this became something a little extraordinary, a little special. So why don't you read that for us, Samuel? Mm-hmm. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Yeah. Now, there's a ton of context around that, and and uh, we're, we're trying to focus on the Gospels, so I don't want to get too, too sidetracked, but I, I bring this in here just to say that phrase— one like a son of man. So from heaven there came one. It doesn't say that he was a man or a son of man explicitly. It says that it was one like a son of man. And so that turned into a messianic title, one like a son of man. And eventually, as all things do, it kind of got shortened just because people get tired of saying the whole phrase, right? And so this title, Son of Man, was already existing as a title for Messiah. And Jesus has, has uh, seemingly glommed onto it as, as a favorite. But that, that, that all got started from people trying to understand and, and figure out things from Daniel. Um, and so, uh, now interestingly... The, the actual Daniel 7.13, there is, in history, uh, they think that this was an actual real person. And I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, but it's Judas Maccabeus. And they sort of consider him as the, I don't know what you want to call it, the practical fulfillment or the real, the real life fulfillment of whatever Daniel's talking about. But it also had this, everybody thought it was an illusion to the Messiah for ultimate fulfillment. So one like a son of man is one like a human being or in human form, and it's expected to be the Messiah. So you remember you had a question, was that the end of the last episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, what did they expect? Did they, did they think he was going to be God or whatever? Here's, here's a really good uh, connection where, no, they expected it to be one like a human being or one in human form. Mm-hmm. Right, so so this adds to that. That's cool. Yeah, I wanted to throw a little reference here. Uh, Bible Project Tim Mackey, he's got a good video on all about the Son of Man. It's illustrated really well. We'll throw it in the show notes. But if you want another reference to listen to a very studied, well studied guy talk about the Son of Man, he does a great job. 
Yeah, you cannot go wrong with Tim Mackey. It's good guy. Mm-hmm. Good, good guy. Uh, okay, so I'm uh, kind of feeling like time-wise and the fact that we're ready to switch to a new topic in the text, we might actually go ahead and stop right here, Samuel. Sounds like a good plan to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're done. Um, when we come back, we're going to be... Uh, it, it's a continuation of the story, but I think it's going to get really cool because we're going to move on to uh, that wedding that we knew was oh, coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this, yeah. So that should be good. a good place to stop. Yeah. All right. I'm calling it. We're done. Okie dokie. Oh! Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you are notified when our episodes release on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time so that you never miss an episode. Our podcast is now on pretty much every podcasting platform, so just make sure you check out our electronic device, search Okie Dokie Most, and you start listening. You can also visit our official website at www.okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online right there. Finally, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope and pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you soon.